Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Let's ask the Lord to guide our time in His Word. Our gracious Father, it is our joy and our privilege to lift our voices to you in song, to remind ourselves of these wonderful truths that we've just sung about, that it is in Christ, in Christ alone, that we find our hope, we find our joy, we find our security. We're reminded that Sin no longer has a grip on us. But you, O oh Lord, have your grip on us. And you keep us and preserve us until the day you call us home. For this, we offer thanks. We thank you for the promise that, Jesus, you will come back for your own. We thank you for the, the reality that for many who, whose lives will not make it until the return of Jesus in this life. But there is the promise that when we breathe our last breath here in Jesus Christ, we breathe our first breath in glory. And Lord, we pray for those who are, who are facing the reality that because of cancer and things going on in their body right now, there is a likelihood, apart from a miracle of God, there is a likelihood that they will breathe their last in the coming days, weeks, and months. Lord, we ask that you will bring encouragement to their heart, reminder to their mind. The wonderful truth that you are with them through this valley that they are walking. We pray that you will encourage us this day through your word. Remind us of the truth. Remind us of our part. Direct our minds. Encourage our hearts in Jesus. Amen. Well, the story is told of three old men who went to the doctor for a memory test. The doctor said to the first old man, what's one plus one? 274, he replied. The doctor looked at the second man, it's your turn, what's one plus one? Tuesday, he responded. The doctor looked at the third man and said, okay, now it's your turn. What's one plus one? Two, said the man. He said, that's great. How'd you get that? Simple, he said. I just subtracted 274 from Tuesday. <laughs> Every once in a while, wrong thinking stumbles upon the right answer. But 99.9% .9 of the time, wrong thinking produces wrong answers. 
true in math, it's true in life, and it's true in our pursuit of a deep and abiding relationship with Christ in which we find peace. As we come back to the book of Philippians, we're looking at this passage in verses 4 through 9 in which God promises us, in verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of God. And at the end, in verse 9, he says, the God of peace will be with you. So we've got the peace of God and the God of peace promised to us. But this promise is surrounded by six commands, six imperatives in the text. That's our part. God's part is to provide peace and to be with us as the God of peace. Our part is to follow in obedience the commands. And I personally believe that this promise is conditioned on those, on those uh, um, imperatives. In that, God will not give us peace if we are not pursuing obedience in these areas. We looked at the first four already. The first two deal with um, proper relationships in verses 4 and 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. This is an issue of finding our joy in the Lord rather than in circumstances, rather than in stuff, rather than in even relationships in this life. Because we know stuff fades away. It, it, it gets old. And circumstances change and people will disappoint us. Find your joy in the Lord. Lift your voice in praise and gratitude to the Lord for who He is and for all that He has done and has promised us. We, we see that uh, we are to let our forbearing spirit, verse 5, be known to all men. That forbearing spirit is a, a graciousness, a sweet reasonableness, if you will. And what he's saying is that because you have been impacted by the Holy Spirit and a relationship with Christ, let that which you have experienced in your relationship with Him manifest itself in your relationships with other people. Let the, the grace that's been extended to you flow through you, right? And let it impact other people and the relationships you have with people. Rather than this, this uh, negative um, brustling that we oftentimes may have with people or, or that we, we repel people with, our, with the way we relate to them. That's not what we're to be doing. We're to let the grace that we've experienced flow through us. And impact other people. And when they experience that through us, very well may be drawn to want to have that with Christ. And so that's what he's saying is our, our relationships with other people, we are to be obedient in that. And then we saw the next two had to do with prayerful concern. He says, be anxious for nothing. That's the command. Be anxious for nothing. There's nothing that we are to be anxious about. Now, the word anxious can be both a positive and a negative thing. It, it means that uh, it talks about concern. We ought to have concern. Concern about other people, their well-being. Concern about our circumstances, certainly. Anxiety is when it grips us 
and we begin to worry and we begin to fear and that fear paralyzes us from acting in a way that we should. Instead, that concern should drive us to the Lord because he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That being made known is the command. We're to lay it to the Lord. So it's not wrong to be concerned. It's what we do with our concern. Concern should drive us to our knees to lay what we're concerned about before the Lord rather than letting it paralyze us with fear. And we learned about prayer in, that, in verse 6 that prayer is an act of worship. It's how we approach God. It's an act of dependence laying our requests at His feet, depending on Him, knowing He needs to show up and do something. And it's a, an act of trust, believing that He cares and that He's going to hear our prayers and He's going to act in accord with His will, doing what is in our best interest, not necessarily what we want, but what's in our best interest, knowing because He is an all-wise God. And what's going to bring Him most glory? And so we see that proper relationships and prayerful concern prepare us to experience peace as we do that, do our part. Then we come to verses 8 and 9, and we come to the last two commands, and we read this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That's the command. And the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things. That's the command. Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So we see right thoughts and habits, practices, prepare us to experience peace. What is this peace? I'll remind you, uh, John MacArthur's uh, uh, definition of this. He says, it is confident trust in God's flawless wisdom and infinite power that provides calm in the midst of the storms of life. It is the ability to trust in the sovereignty, wisdom, and love of God that you're able to trust Him to the point where you experience a tranquility within no matter what's going on without. Because you trust God. He knows what He's doing. He's got this. And He's good. And He loves you. That's where that peace comes. He provides it when, again, when we do our part. And so in these last two, it's about, it's about how we think. And so we need to dwell on the right thoughts. One person said, spiritual stability is the result of how a person thinks. And he gives us a list of the kinds of things we're to be thinking about. Things are true. It means things that are valid or honest. Things that are reliable as opposed to speculation. And isn't it true of many of us, when we are facing a concerning situation, one that maybe we don't know how things are going to turn out, 
have a tendency to speculate on all the negative things that could result, right? All the ways this thing could go off the tracks. And we find ourselves dwelling on all of those things rather than the things we know are true. Many years ago when I was in, in seminary, I would, I would, I would, we were living in Greencastle. I was pastoring, but I would travel every Tuesday to Philadelphia for classes for, what, five and a half, six years we'd been there. Um, and and part of the time, I had to leave really early in the morning to get to Philly for an 8 o'clock class. So I'd like, get up at 4 or 4.30 and leave. Um, and then other times, uh, later in my, my time there, they had classes later in the day to accommodate those of us who worked. And so I'd work a half a day, and I'd leave after lunch, and I'd drive out to Philly for classes till about 10 o'clock at night, and I'd drive home late at night. Well, there were many times where Valerie would lay in bed at night, either when I got up really early or was coming home late at night, and she would, she would think, oh, he's going he's to have an accident, he's going to die. And she would plan my funeral. Um, and, uh, and, and then at some point during that time, she, she came to realize this truth, right, that she has to think about what is true, not what could happen. Now, the good thing is my funeral is already planned, so when something does happen to me, we get it all covered. Um, but, uh, you know, that's our, our tendency is to, to dwell on right, the worst-case scenario and speculate on all this, and it, it's, not, it's not helpful for us. Because what does it do? It leads not to peace, but to anxiety. It leads to worry. Or think about what is true. Or think about what is honorable. Right? That word means worthy of respect. Uh, but how, and, and many commentators say it probably should be translated in this context as a serious mindedness. Not necessarily that you can't have humor or can't joke around, but, but it's a, a lack of superficiality in your thinking. Um, it's, it's thinking about things that are honorable. Things that are Correct and, and serious-minded, if you will. Uh, the word right means just and upright. Uh, now, this, again, this doesn't mean we put our blinders on and we never see injustice or never see things that aren't correct or whatever. No, but it, it's talking about dwelling on it. And, and it's not helpful for us, especially personally, when we've experienced an injustice, and we all have and we all will, to dwell on that and, and, and just take this victim mentality. That doesn't help us experience peace. It creates anxiety. Because we, we find ourselves going down that path. Well, this isn't right. I deserve this. I should have done I'm going to get this back from this person. And we, we find ourselves going down that path. And it doesn't lead to peace. There is a place for justice in this society. There's a place to seek justice and right ways to do that. But it's where our mind continues to be. Uh, we need to think on what is right. We need to think of what is pure, moral purity, freedom from defilement. And for, for men, this is a very critical issue in our society in which we live, but even if it's not in a society that, that uh, promotes all kinds of uh, immoral uh, pictures and things that, that tend to appeal to a, a man's mind and lustful thoughts, then we need to, we need to get hold of this. We need to dwell on that which is moral and pure. Sometimes you can't help seeing some things, but it's where a mind dwells is what we need to be working on. What is lovely 
It means to be amiable, agreeable, pleasing, winsome, that kinds of thing. In fact, one person said, in common parlance, this word could refer either to a Beethoven sympathy, symphony, as well as the work of Mother Teresa among the poor of Calcutta. The former is lovely and enjoyable. The latter is admirable as well as moral. Um, so what is pleasing, lovely, but also what is right, what is good. And of good repute, that is what is praiseworthy. And to speak well of is literally what it means, or to think well of. And particularly, this is important when you're in a relationship with somebody that maybe you're, not, you're at odds with. <laughs> it's easy to think well of somebody that you enjoy being around, that you're in a good relationship with, and you like to be with them. But when it comes to somebody that's not easy to be around, somebody you are having a struggle with, or maybe there's a rift in the relationship, it's easy to think negatively about them, to think ill of them, to, to put all kinds of thoughts and dwell on things that might even be a reality, but you dwell on it enough that you build it up even worse than it is, or you put them in a negative light in your eyes. It's not good for us. It doesn't lead us down the right path to experience all that God intends for us. And so we have to work at thinking well of in those situations, but it's important that we work at it. And then uh, anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, I think these are more overarching terms. If there's anything that is excellent, that word excellent means morally good. And if there's anything worthy of praise, not that we're looking for praise ourselves from people, but that our minds will be filled with the things that are worthy to be dwelled upon, praiseworthy. We need to let our minds dwell there. The word dwell isn't just about a fleeting thought. It means to ponder something, to give proper weight and value to something, to allow then the resultant appraisal of that situation to influence the way you live your life. So it's, it's the, the way that you are processing it, not just a fleeting thought that comes into your mind when you see something or experience something. It's what you choose to continue to think about and ponder. And it has an effect then on the way we live our lives. So with that in mind, two practical action steps. One, stop pursuing improper thinking. This is, part, this is what repentance is about. It's about stopping something that is not good for you. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul, has, after he's talked about all this incredible doctrine in the book of Romans in the first 11 chapters, he moves to practical, and he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, he's just explained all about how God has been merciful, by the mercies of God, uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable uh, to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then he says in verse 2, and don't be conformed to this world. Literally, it means stop being conformed to the world. You're being conformed. You're letting the world conform you. Stop it. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to stop pursuing improper thinking. Don't let the world's way of thinking affect your way of thinking about yourself, about, about others, about God, about life in general. 
You will be going down a wrong path if the world is dictating to you how you're supposed to think. Stop thinking that way. We need to be ruthless in our protection of our mind, especially in the culture in which we live. Proverbs 4.23 says, uh, Solomon says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. How we think affects our heart, and what we believe in our heart affects the way we live our life. And so we need to watch over it diligently, ruthlessly protect our minds. We naively think that, well, I'm not hurting anybody by thinking this. It doesn't hurt anybody by dwelling on these kinds of things because it's not outside of me. It's in, well, if it's in there, it's coming out. Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart comes all kinds of adultery, fornication, murder, lust. All of that comes out of the heart. What's in the heart comes from what you think. And so it does affect. We're naive to think that it doesn't. And may I say this. Social media is a cesspool for wrong thinking. Yeah, there, there may be a good thing here and there. But by and large, if we spend a lot of time on social media, we are filling our minds with garbage. It's, it's the reality. And I would, I would suggest to you to take, uh, if, if you look at this stuff, and I know some of, some of you don't, but if, you, if you're looking at that stuff pretty consistently, I challenge you to take a fast for a time. And you determine what that is. Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a couple days, a week, whatever it is. And see if it doesn't affect the way you think. I remember talking to somebody probably a couple years ago who said that they took a, a fast from Facebook. And Facebook's pretty mild when it comes to social media. Uh, and her, her, what she said to me was, I, I was amazed at how it changed the way I think. Again, I'm not saying that, you know, that, that it, you know, you, you're, you're in sin by looking at this stuff. Again, that's between you and the Lord. I'm just, just challenging you. This stuff, it affects the way we think. And the way we think will affect the way we believe. And the way we believe will affect the way we live. And the way we treat people and all of that. And, uh, and so we've got to stop pursuing improper thinking. And I would say if you cannot stop looking at it for even a short period of time, that's a problem. Is a problem for us. I know people, I know adults who can't go, I've heard them come out of their mouth, I, I can't go a couple hours without looking at this stuff because I might miss something. It might go away and I won't be able to see it. So what? Is it that important that somebody's out there doing some dance that you never saw or somebody's, somebody's telling you about something that they did? Who cares? Right? But we do. We need to, to, to keep up with this stuff. And it, it's, you know, once that you sit back and think about it, it's really silly. But yet it just keeps grabbing us. That's the way addictive things are. It changes the way we think. The structure of our brain actually changes. So we need to stop. 
pursuing improper thinking. And then the other side of, re of repentance is start pursuing proper thinking. Right? Just as Paul said, stop being conformed to this world, but start being renewed, or start being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start new behaviors, new thought processes. One commentator wrote this, uh, as we come to this passage, he says, an old subject is thus brought again to us. The cardinal place occupied by the Christian's mind for good as well as ill. Just as a carnal mind is the surest passport to the downward path, so the mind drilled in the things of which God approves is the steadiest way into practical holiness. If in a difficult relationship we allow our minds and judgment to be clouded by half-truth, or if we allow frivolous and damaging thoughts about the other person to simmer in our minds, we are hardly being like Christ. We should rather determine to think only the truth about the other person, to value what is attractive and praiseworthy about them. This will prove to be the way of peace. We've got we to we grow up and take responsibility for our life and the direction of our life. And it all starts with the way we think. The things we choose to avoid the things we choose to think about. And sometimes it's a process. But we got to engage in the process. And sometimes maybe we need some help and accountability. And we need to get it. Dwight D. Pentecost, a theologian, Bible teacher, he, said, he wrote, the greatest area of sin in a believer's life is not the area of actions, but the area of thought. And he goes on to say, on the authority of the Word of God, I submit to you that the greatest conflict being waged is not international, not political, not economic, and not social. The greatest conflict taking place in the world today is the battle for control of our minds. And again, <laughs> the media is feeding us a lot of junk. It's a, a battle for the brain, for what we, how we think. Warren Wearsby writes, the Christian who fills his heart and mind with God's word will have a built-in radar for detecting wrong thoughts. Right thinking is a result of daily meditation on the word of God. Someone wrote this, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, and reap a destiny. It all begins with the way we think. Again, it's just too much in our, in our world today of it's somebody else's fault. And there, there is an element of truth probably to that because probably somewhere in the process you were impacted by somebody negatively. Somebody's decision, somebody's words, somebody's actions had a direct or indirectly negative impact on your life. And you are wounded, uh, affected in some way by that. We all probably are. But at some point, we've got to say, I have to take responsibility for where I'm at right now. I can acknowledge what's happened to me. 
again, it may be horrific. But I've got to move from this place. And I'm responsible before God for how I live my life and the impact my life has moving forward. And it starts with renewing my mind with truth. Truth of the Word of God. Which leads to the second point in verse 9, and that is we need to develop right habits from our thoughts to develop those right habits. The word practice here, practice these things. That's the imperative. That's the command. The word practice means to practice something to become a habit. Paul is saying, hey, the things you learned and received from me, the things you heard and seen in me, do them. We don't have Apostle Paul here today. We don't have apostles in our day. What we do have is the Word of God. And in this Word, we have a lot of instructive material. We also have many examples of people who lived, who didn't do everything right. They have the good and the bad and the ugly in the Scriptures of these people. We can learn from their example. We can learn from their lives as God allowed their lives to be laid out before us in the Holy Word of God. The example for us. We also can learn from each other. We're all on a, on a different place right in this journey. Some are further along than others. Some are doing some, some good things. Others are, are making some mistakes and learning from the mistakes. We can learn from each other. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I had older siblings. I learned from watching them make mistakes. And I saw the way that impacted our family and my, my parents. And I said, I don't want to do that. So I, I avoided certain things because I had older siblings who walked that road and, and I learned from that example. And it right, wasn't always a good example, but I, I learned from it and avoided some things. But there are negative sides to being a younger child in a family. You get impacted by those older siblings who, who are trying to figure out life and who are wounded by some things and they turn around and wound you because of their woundedness and it gets to be a problem. There's, there's struggles. But again, we, we learn from that. We learn from people who are, who are striving to walk with Christ, mentors in our lives. People who can disciple us. Paul says the things you've learned and received, we need, to, we, need, we need to learn and receive the Word of God. Word learn means to learn and understand. And so, as followers of Christ, we should be students of the Word of God. We should study it. We should seek to read for understanding of what's in the text. And that's why we have encouraged you to read through the Bible and have put a journal out there. Because, not because we, we want you just to, to read the Bible, check a box, and say, I did my duty for today. No, but so you can get in the Word of God, so the Word of God can produce an understanding of what God's thoughts are, so that it will impact the way we live our lives and our relationship with Him. So we learn it. We, we are study, study, students of the Word of God, and we seek to understand the text. We also receive it. We need to take the Word into our life. We need to let the Word impact us. 
as we receive it as God's word to us. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. We, let, we receive the word. We know this is what God says. He's speaking this message for us. For our benefit. We need to develop the habit of reading God's word consistently in order to understand and apply it. I have found that journaling is helpful in that. I don't journal every day. I first admit that. But every, every morning when I'm reading through the Word of God, I'm asking Him, Lord, show me something about Yourself. Show me something about me. Show me something from Your Word that You want me to dwell on today that will benefit my life. And inevitably, there's something that He, on most days, that are very, very clear that stands out to me. And sometimes I write it down, sometimes I don't, but I try and think about it. Again, what, what does James tell us in James chapter 1? He says not, not, to, let the, not to, to look at the Word like you're looking at your face in a mirror and forget what you look like. But he says, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Not a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer of the Word of God. We need to learn and receive the Word. Understand it. And receive it as God's Word to and for us. And then secondly, we should hear and see. He says, what you heard and seen in me. Hear and see the Word of God. It's important that we are under the hearing of God's Word. This is no substitute for being in the Word ourselves and reading it, but we learn from those that God has set apart to teach the Word of God. Oftentimes, we can read a passage and it won't impact us because we're, we're not willing to see it speaking to our issue. Right? We're blinded to it. But see, someone else can teach it and clearly point it out. This is what God's Word is saying. Here are the implications of that. And then we're like, oh, um, and so it's important that we're under the hearing of God's Word as well as being in it for ourselves. And we ought to be looking for mentors, people that we can see it lived out in their life. Again, we have examples in the Word, but we have examples in each other's lives. Because we need to see what it looks like. <laughs> and God designed a local church to be the fulfillment of this. The local church is a place where we're living this stuff out in relationship with each other. And the desire would be that we at least have some relationships with people that could call us out if we are pretending. They know us well enough. They live life close enough to us and we are open enough to letting them see into our life enough that they can see and they can call us out. We need that accountability, that encouragement. It's also good when we're close with people, we can see not a perfect life, but we can see a life that is 
striving to follow Christ and we realize, okay, it doesn't have to look perfect. We can learn from each other. And we need to be willing to open our life up to one another enough that people can see, hey, he's not perfect or she, she doesn't have it all together, but man, I can learn from that. So we need to develop the right habits. What are some of the habits? As we've already talked about, consistent reading and studying God's Word for understanding and application. Um, memorizing, meditating on the Word of God. You know, we have, we have encouraged you. We've had monthly challenges on this issue, but I really encourage and challenge you to, to be in some kind of memorizing schedule, even if it's one verse a month. It's better than nothing. Anybody can memorize one verse in a month if you're willing to work at it. I think anybody can memorize a verse a week or more than that. But we can do this. But you've got to make a decision to do that. And this passage is a great place to memorize. There's a lot of practical stuff here to dwell on, to continue to go back to over and over again. This memorizing scripture has probably been the, the biggest thing that has helped me as a man in the, in the temptation of lust. Because it gives me something to intentionally focus upon. When I'm, I'm in a place where I don't have the Bible to open up and read it, I can read it through my mind. And I can dwell on the thoughts that God has given me rather than on the thoughts that my flesh wants to dwell on. It's been critical. And the other thing, the other incredible benefit to the memorizing of Scripture, something that I learned um, through articles I've read, it actually changes your brain. Because looking at the wrong images changes your brain. Being an addictive uh, cycle of any kind, whether it's drugs or porn or, or alcohol or, or any kind of wrong thinking, it changes the brain. Memorizing the Word of God changes it positively. Because it develops new pathways your brain works on. It heals the brain from the damage that these other things have done. It's incredibly helpful. That's why uh, David writes in Psalm 119 about... Um, uh, treasuring your word in your heart. He says, I treasure, uh, treasure a word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word treasuring is, is this idea, pondering, is med meditating on. So we need to be doing that, developing intimacy with the Lord through time and prayer. If we want to grow in the Lord, uh, two minutes a day, just throwing up a few requests to the Lord is not going to get you there. We've got to dedicate time to develop a habit of spending time with God. Now, you, you might say, I don't know what to talk to God about after about a couple minutes. Well, okay, pray through Scripture. Take a psalm and just start reading verse by verse and then talk to God about what's in that verse. If it talks about who God is, praise Him for who He is. If it talks about um, getting your enemies, then talk to God about who in your life is a hard person to deal with. Maybe don't 
do like David and say, get him, Lord, kill him, you know. And sometimes David was, was pretty aggressive as the king of a nation that was coming against God's people. Um, but we can let the word of God direct our praying. It's an incredible way to pray. It changed the way my wife and I have learned to pray. Praying through Scripture. And gathering up the, uh, gathering with the local body of believers for worship and, and service, right? Our gathering together. Lifting our voices together as we praise the Lord and, and talk to God or sing to God truths about who He is. It's so important to do. The fellowship that we have. Being connected with one another in personal relationships with each other is absolutely essential. Giving financially to the Lord's work is another habit we should get into. Giving back to God a portion of what He's blessed us with. These are all the kinds of habits that we should be developing. It starts with a mentality. Even giving, I have to think properly about the money that I have access to. Is it mine or does it belong to God? I'm a steward of what God has given me. That's what the Word says. And when I get a right thinking about that, then to give it to the Lord is much easier. If I think it's mine, and it's for my benefit and my pleasure, and what I want to do with it, and the more I can get, the better I can live my life, man, I'm going to have a hard time giving. It starts with the brain, the mind, the way we think. So right thoughts and right habits will prepare us to experience this peace, which is really about trusting God to do what He's going to do, to trust Him with the circumstances in our life, and He knows what He's doing. And He'll work it out. And then we experience that peace. And we are able to walk with joy and peace in our walk with God in relationship with other people. And we're able to experience that no matter what is going on in our individual life. Well, Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture that we have been able to spend several weeks looking at, digesting, considering. God, I pray that you will, you will challenge us. Chances are, for each of us, one of these six commands is something that we need to work on. Even if we've got many of them kind of down and so, God, there's always room for us to continue to intentionally work at and work out this salvation that you have gifted us with through Jesus Christ. Because you are at work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure and, and for our good. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you will work. I pray your blessing upon us. It's not, it's not easy, Lord. We've got, to, we've got to take our responsibility seriously and do our part. For Lord, we know you will do yours. Thank you for the promise of this kind of peace that will guard our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I, I pray for, for young people today who are bombarded with so much negativity, so much stuff, so thankful I didn't grow up with all the this stuff that, that 
young people have to deal with today. God, I pray you'll bless them. You will help them. You'll encourage them. May help them to be surrounded by other young men and women like them who have the same desire to, to, to pursue Christ. God, may we as adults pray for them and encourage and help them as much as we can. Father, I pray for someone right now who is in the hearing of my voice who says, I, this all sounds, sounds good, but I don't even know what it means to have a relationship with God. Lord, I pray for them. And in this moment, they'll, they'll, your spirit will help them understand. It's, it's a simple trust in Christ. And what he accomplished on the cross. Because, because we're all sinners. Lord, we all come to you in our sin and lay it at your feet because we know we're guilty before God. We deserve to be separated from you, but God, because of Jesus' willingness to take our punishment for us, come and confess our sin, and Lord, you, you forgive us through Christ. Lord, we trust in you. And Lord, I pray that a person might understand what it looks like to just lay it before you and trust in Jesus. May they find somebody will help them grow in that understanding, in that relationship. And God, help every one of us to be willing as we pursue you to invite others to pursue Christ with us and open our lives up to each other and love each other well for Jesus' sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, would you, uh, would you stand as we conclude our service together by singing, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Let's stand.